Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. I'm delighted to introduce in this episode, Congressman Mike Thompson. Congressman Thompson represents California's 5th Congressional District, which includes all of Napa and parts of Contra Costa, Lake Solano, and Sonoma counties. First elected to Congress in 1998, Congressman Thompson is a member of the House Committee on Ways and Means, and he is also the chairman of the House Gun Violence Prevention Task Force. Congressman Thompson was instrumental in the passage of the recent Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, and he also authored House Resolution 8, the Universal Background Checks Bill, which passed the House and awaits a vote in the Senate. Congressman Thompson is a very active and engaged leader on a variety of topics, including gun violence, but also climate change, homelessness, mental health, and much more. It was extraordinary to have him come on in the run-up to the 2022 midterm elections. We got to discuss what it's like out on the campaign trail right now, as well as how we're going to continue to advance gun violence prevention in the United States, which unfortunately remains top of mind after yet another spate of mass shootings in the United States. You can check out the entire archive of Explore the Space podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com, and you can find me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. You can subscribe to Explore the Space podcast wherever you like to download your shows. Please do subscribe. Leave us that five-star rating interview. That really helps the show out. We've done a variety of episodes around gun violence and gun violence prevention on Explore the Space podcast. You can check out that archive as well. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to www.explorethespaceshow.com and check out the podcast archive there. Again, it was an honor to have Congressman Thompson on. He is my congressman. I'm excited to vote for him in the upcoming midterm elections. He is an engaged and an important leader on a variety of topics, particularly around gun violence. This was a wonderful conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy it. Without further ado, Congressman Mike Thompson. Congressman Thompson, welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm delighted that you're here. Thank you. Dr. Spiro, it's good to be with you. We are back together at, at an interesting time. I think I don't like to use platitudes, and I, I try to think of a word that sort of strategically captures this moment as we approach the midterm elections in 2022. We're less than a month away. When you have a moment to reflect, when you have that moment, you know, late at night, early in the morning, whatever it is, to just sort of think about where we are and what we're looking at and the road ahead, what words come to mind for you? Well, you know, I, I've I've been out in the district, yeah. uh, going from community to community, uh, group to group, and as you can well imagine, uh, a lot of the questions I get are the same. Uh, people are very concerned about where our country's going. Uh, People are concerned that uh, our democracy is in trouble and what that means for this great republic. And uh, so I have been thinking a lot about it. And and it's interesting, the people that I talk about uh, all say the same thing. Uh, They want members of Congress who are willing to work together to get things done that helps our districts, our states, and our country. And it's difficult for just regular everyday people to understand why that can't happen. And, you know, I had a meeting yesterday 
And I, I told the folks when they asked the question, I said, you know, I will work with, with anyone uh, who's willing to work with me to get things done. I said, but it's really hard when, and this, and you, you'll appreciate this because of where you live. I said, but it's really hard uh, when uh, a raging wildfire wipes out thousands of homes in my district, businesses, people are killed. And one of my colleagues says, well, that was a fire started by Jews shooting laser beams from outer space. And it's just really clear that some people don't go to Washington to solve problems. They go to build up their social media hits and to fan the flames uh, that uh, are, I think, uh, uh, troubling uh, and dangerous uh, to our democracy. And I reminded folks that, you know, people, people, voters, send these individuals to Washington. So to say, hey, you guys in Congress are divided and can't work together. Maybe you ought to roll it back a little bit and, and ask who's sending folks to Washington. And, you know, as you know, I, I, I'm very, very fortunate to be able to work across party lines. You know, when the, when the Luger uh, Foundation does its analysis uh, every year, uh, I'm always number one or number two uh, in regard to the most bipartisan member of Congress from California. And I'm always in the top 30s, 30, 31, 32 out of 435 members of Congress. So I, I have proven that I can and am willing to work together. Uh, and we just need more of that. Yeah, that's a spirit that I, I think your insight around is really helpful that whether it's eroded or whatever the narrative is, we do want to work to rebuild it. One of the reasons that I'm fortunate that I've gotten to vote for you a couple of times and get to do so again is that sense of pragmatic leadership, that sense of what is the shared goal? What is the shared road forward? And how do we go going back to what I learned when I was in you know elementary school and, and, and high school? What are the, the tools that we have to compromise and to find that middle ground? And I do want to call out as we think about finding middle ground, right? There was a really important piece of legislation passed. The first word in that legislation is bipartisan, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. This was the most important piece of gun violence prevention legislation, certainly passed and signed into law in my lifetime. But I don't get the sense that you've rested on those laurels. I don't get the sense that you're you felt like that was enough somehow. I feel like you're still restless. I feel like you want to pursue the issue more. What do you take of my sense of where we sit after the passage of the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act? Well, you put your doctor skills to work well. <laughs> you diagnosed uh, this problem. Uh, now, you're absolutely correct. Uh, this, this legislation, I believe, is significant. You know, some will argue with me and it doesn't go far enough, doesn't do enough. You know, it was, uh, you know, it was a wasted effort. And I disagree with that. You know, if, if you think about uh, what this bill has accomplished, it's provided a means by which uh, state and uh, states can implement the uh, red flag, the extreme uh, uh, risk orders. So if someone is a danger to themselves or others, they can be evaluated. They can uh, uh, have their firearms removed uh, for a period of time until things uh, get uh, back in, in shape. There's funding for 
uh, for uh, community violence intervention programs that we know works. There's a, a, a reconfiguring as to how background checks are conducted for people under 21 purchasing firearms. There's uh, they, they, this bill closes what has been for years known as the boyfriend loophole. So if uh, you're married and you abuse your spouse, you're uh, prohibited from owning a firearm. But until this bill was passed, if you aren't married, if you're cohabitating and you abuse your spouse, no problem, go buy another gun. And, uh, and that's something we've been trying to uh, uh, close forever. Uh, it uh, it, it re-evaluates uh, and reorganizes how sellers at gun shows are classified. Is that in a lot of states, uh, what happens is uh, someone can go to a gun show, and if they're a federally licensed firearm dealer, uh, if you come in to buy a gun from them, you have to have a background check. But an individual can claim that he or she are selling their personal their personal firearms, and no background check needed. And and the truth of the matter is, as you know, you've been working on this uh, on, on on this issue for a long time. Uh, a lot of people who participate in those gun shows as individual sellers, that's their only line of work. Uh, they're out all week uh, finding guns, and then on the weekend, you know, they're selling them. So uh, it, it has done a lot, and, uh, but you're, you're correct. You, 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 don't, you, you, you don't just stop. Uh, there's other things that we can do, and, and you and I both know that the most important thing uh, that we could do that would save the most lives uh, and would be the most expeditious way to save lives would be to expand background checks. So everybody who buys a gun gets a background check. If you're a criminal, if you're dangerously mentally ill, if you're uh, a danger to yourself or others, you don't buy the gun. And, and as you also know, 90% of the American people support that. And uh, that's where we need to end up. That would be a significant step towards uh, safer communities, safer schools, and uh, and and, uh, and 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 a safer environment. Circling back to narrative, right? You said earlier it, there's these narratives about how divided and we are, and and these sorts of things. Ninety percent. Find me any issue that has that level of support in American politics. It's not an issue of division. It's an issue of narrative. It's an issue of of owning. The narrative and one of the things about the the bipartisan safer communities act that i quite honestly am the most excited about is the terms that you just laid out we normalize those we're normalizing these terms that people really never heard and so people are learning and getting educated very quickly on subject matter that for a lot of people has felt very tense to whether even access physicians especially and that opportunity to start to normalize these discussions i think as time goes by is going to just tell in ways that we can't really anticipate yet. Are you finding that people are getting more comfortable even having these conversations and understanding what does a red flag law actually mean as opposed to what we've been told about it for the last generation? Well, I think most people uh, fall into that category. But uh, if I were to go out into a crowd and talk about this issue, you, you hear the same empty rhetoric yeah. that we've heard for years. You know, oh, uh, if your wife gets mad at you, she's going to call the police and come take your guns away. Right, right. And, I mean, this, this stuff, you know, it's just not uh, it should not be a real concern uh, to people. And uh, I, I'm assuming that uh, 
there's marital disputes that uh, end up uh, in ways that uh, no one would want them to end up. But you know, there's provisions in the law. You know, if you if if you uh, accuse someone of doing something they didn't do, you know, you, you stand the risk of of being penalized. And uh, so I, I just I don't buy that. I don't buy that. You know, uh, hair on fire. They're coming to take your guns. And nobody's coming to take your guns. And um, you know, I mean, there are more guns in this country than there are people in this country. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, I, I don't think that's a, a, a huge uh, a huge concern. Uh, but there are ways that we can uh, abide by the Second Amendment and make our community safer. And I think it's those rational interventions towards safety, right? That those when those moments of friction arrive in life, that the recourse isn't the unsecured firearm, that there are other ways and means for us to navigate conflict, for us to deal with whatever it is, and to be able to have these conversations at a population level. Look, within my profession, right, there's a, there's I've had the opportunity to, to give talks on this and a lot of this stuff I've learned from you, but particularly around how the Dickey Amendment really silenced the profession for such a long time, we're digging out of that. Um, there's tremendous energy and interest. And I think that these are the sorts of things that continue to help build momentum. So when we do these, we pass things at the federal level, but we can also really do them at the grassroots level and at the local level. And one of the things that I know you've been a big supporter of and a big proponent of, and we have one coming up in Sonoma County, are gun buyback programs. And again, from that space of not assuming that everyone is familiar with what that term actually means, can you kind of just walk us through when a community does a gun buyback program, what are they actually doing in terms of this being a violence intervention program, in terms of being a gun violence risk reduction program? Before I do that, let, let me just uh, let me just mention that uh, on the bill that we passed, uh, I believe that once that bill is out there for a while and and people understand that, you know, nobody's going to come kick your door down and take your gun. Uh, it'll make it a little easier uh, to continue to do reforms that uh, make our communities safer. Yeah, the gun buyback programs, and they're they're not without controversy. You know, I hear it all the time. People sure. say, oh, it's a waste of money. Uh, bad guys aren't going to turn their guns in. And the reality is they're probably not. Uh, but what's going to happen is people who have guns around their homes that uh, you know that don't use them, don't want them. Uh, they're they're going to turn them in. And if somebody breaks into your home and you've turned these guns in, bad guys aren't going to get more guns. And so I think that's uh, important. The other thing that I think is important with the gun buybacks is it's an opportunity to talk about the issue, and uh, it, it it's educational. It informs communities as to what is an epidemic uh, in our country. You know, when you, you figure that 30 people every day are killed by someone using a gun, if you factor in accidental death and suicide, it's 100 people a day. $285 billion a year is what is cost if you, what the costs are of this. If you calculate out everything from you know, the hospital costs, the uh, lost work, the uh, police response, et cetera. So this is a problem that, that, that it's it's an epidemic and uh, everybody should be you know uh, trying to figure out how to how to fix it. Now, you know that um, I'm a gun owner 
And I've been a gun owner for as long as I can remember. As a matter of fact, I'm doing this Zoom from uh, a little uh, hallway pass through in the house in which I grew up. My father had a gun rack. He had guns on this wall. And as a little kid, I was intrigued by these. And, and so I've been a, a gun owner for a long time, a shooter for, for a long time. I support the Second Amendment. But if those of us who are responsible gun owners uh, need to get involved, because if we don't, as you've heard me say before, when the pendulum swings back, it often goes further back than, than you would like. So we should gun owners should be out in front on this issue and we should be demanding changes uh, that protect our right to own firearms, but also uh, protect our communities. I'll be totally honest with you, hearing you describe this as an epidemic, there's some um, validation and vindication in hearing that word from my congressperson. This is something where I mean, you've we've spoken together. You know what I do on social media. I'm the guy that gets pretty fired up. And I use that term a lot. I don't use it in a hyperbolic manner, but it is important that we have shared understanding. Right? This is the leading cause of death for American children from the age of one to 19. Um, and this is this is an embarrassing statistic, but it's something that on every other thing that can lead to the death of a child, we have a wide array of interventions. We have a wide array of approaches and dialogues to make them better. We can't eradicate them, but we make them better. This is that standalone where we're not doing that yet. And so that sense of shared ownership of the problem and shared understanding of the problem is extraordinarily valuable. But my question in that space is, am I in a bubble, right? Living where I live, living in California, being a physician, all the privileges that come with what I get to do and where I live, out in the rest of the country, being in Washington, D.C., that level of shared understanding, is it increasing? Are we on a sort of a level playing field or are there places where that level of recognition of the of the scope and scale of the problem is just not there? Well, Mark, remember, there, there is an uh, a full scale effort on the part of some to uh, to break down any credibility that those of us who believe that gun violence is a problem. Uh, they, uh, th you know, and they're telling people nonstop, you know, these guys, this doctor from Santa Rosa, this congressman from St. Helena, they're evil. They're going to take your guns. You know, I hear it all the time. Oh, why do you say gun violence? Oh, isn't knife violence just as bad? You know, isn't car violence just as bad? Well, let's stipulate violence is bad. Uh, but what we're focusing on in, in, in this podcast and in this policy space is uh, violence that's brought about uh, with firearms. And we've both talked about the significance of the problem. It's a problem. So anytime somebody questions, you know, why gun violence is worse than something else or tells you they're going to come kick your door down and take your gun uh, or, you know, this guy Thompson doesn't know anything about guns and uh, this doctor uh, Sapiro should be quiet. And, and, and st what, did they, what did they say about we should stay in our lane, stay in your own lane? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And that went over really well. <laughs> so just know that that's an indicator. That's an indicator that anybody that says that is either ignorant or willfully trying to take the effort of uh, uh, of fixing or addressing this problem off course. Yeah, 
and, and as we deal with this issue and look, the myriad other issues that can draw our attention hour by hour, minute by minute, depending on how fast you're scrolling through Twitter or Instagram, when you're out on the campaign trail approaching the midterms, what are you feeling like? What are, th what are the things that are top of mind, right? It's October in Northern California. It's wildfire season. There's all of these different things. What things come up for you in a space that when you go home at the end of that campaign day and say, boy, this is this is one that demands immediate action after I get reelected and get back to Congress and get back to work. These ones cannot wait. Yeah, all of the above. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think you can just I, I've never gone uh, to Washington, D.C. to work and said, I, I've got there's one problem I need to fix. You know, there yeah. are a ton of problems. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm I believe that the biggest problem that we the collective we faces is climate change. If we fix everything else and we don't if we don't deal with climate change, it's going to be all or not. Uh, I think uh, mental illness is the number two issue that we face. I don't believe that there is uh, a single problem in our society that isn't a degree or two uh, separated from mental illness. You know, and, and in, in our area, and uh, and you're familiar with this, we, we, we see it, we hear it. Uh, we uh, worry about it. We try and deal with it. Uh, the issue of homelessness and mental illness is in every homeless encampment in California or the other 49 states. And a lot of times people will, you know, will, will blow off the issue. They'll say, well, it's drugs and it's alcohol. And yeah, it's drugs and alcohol. But as you know, if you're mentally ill and you don't get the help that you need, you self-medicate. That means you take drugs, you take alcohol, or you're, or you're, you're a poly abuser, and, and, and you take both. So it just, you know, it just takes a problem that is terrible and exacerbates it. So um, I, I think we need to be doing a lot more in regard to uh, to mental uh, mental illness. Uh, but fires and fire prevention uh, are, are an issue. Uh, drought and water, that's connected to climate change, but we've got you know that problem that's facing us. We've got problems that uh, aren't natural disasters and weren't brought about by any political uh, entity or party, uh, like Putin's immoral, illegal invasion of a uh, democracy. And that's causing problems uh, right here at home, you know, ag, Ag guys can't uh, can't sell product. They can't get uh, fertilizer. Uh, gas prices are, are are through the roof. So uh, I I don't think you can nail it down, narrow it down to just one issue. Uh, we we've got to keep a lot of balls in the air, and we've got to address uh, every one of these uh, problem areas. And I say address. You know, I want to for the benefit of uh, your viewers. I want to stress that. You know. Um, you can identify a problem. You can write the best law or best ordinance in the world. So if you're the county board of supervisors and you draw up an ordinance or you're in the state legislature and you pass a bill or you're in Congress and you pass a bill, it, if that goes through, is signed into law, you better start the very next day working on how that problem has uh, morphed into something else unintended consequences. So it's never, you know, you, you, you never solve anything with an ordinance or a law. You address problems.
one of the things that I've appreciated about you having come to know you a little bit over the last several years is, is, a, is a, a characteristic that I imagine being in Washington and serving multiple terms of Congress could actively try to extinguish. And I'm curious, how have you kept your sense of empathy? How have you kept that sense of, I'm doing this for the people around me? I'm not going to be on the news five nights a week. I'm not going to blow up my social media profile. You have maintained a sense of empathy that I think has clearly stood you in good stead. But it's important for those of us who are represented by you and also for those around the country acknowledging that every congressperson's vote affects every American. How have you maintained that sense of empathy? Well, um, I, I believe strongly in uh, our republic our democracy. I believe in the institution of representative government. Uh, that's how we address these issues that we're talking about tonight and and and, and everything else. Uh, remember, I put on the uniform of our country and uh, went to uh, war uh, because I, in, in part, because I believe uh, in our country, in in, in our democracy, and in, in, in our our, our republic. Uh, so I think that's important, and I think that uh, this institution of representative government is the uh, process by which we address problems. You know, you don't try and steal elections. You don't try and blow up the Capitol. Uh, if you have a grievance, uh, you work together with like-minded people uh, to change the situation. And, and I think that is really important. Uh, I, I believe that uh, my job is to um, make sure that that institution of representative government is stronger when I leave than when I got there. And it's my job to try and get things done for the people uh, who send me uh, to Washington. So I think a combination of all, all of this and and uh, most certainly, I, I think uh, my life experiences and how I was brought up and my background uh, certainly uh, influence, uh, influence this. But uh, and then my son, who tells me, uh, I don't care what you do in politics, you better never embarrass your family. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I have uh, I have the saying that, uh, that uh, the, my local paper in St. Lena is the St. Lena Star. And it's uh, I, if I don't want to see it on the front pages of the St. Lena Star, I don't do it. <laughs> it's funny how that impact of, of the family can can have, because for me, right, the thing that's been really activating over the last several years in terms of being more engaged as a physician and as a member of this community, someday my boy's gonna look at me and say, Dad, what did you do? You were a doctor, you hosted a podcast, you were in your hometown. What did you do to address these issues? I need an answer. Um, yeah. I want an answer. I don't just wanna do it because of a sense of, I want an answer, right? This is a shared experience that is gonna define our generations. And for me, that is extraordinarily compelling and, and having leadership role models like yourself who are doing that work with that sense of empathy, it's it's critically important, and quite frankly, it's really inspiring. Oh, thank you. This was fantastic. And as we kind of wrap up, when you came on the podcast a couple of years ago, I think it's only fair that our duly elected member of Congress gets the last word. So take us out. Congressman <laughs> Thompson, this was an absolute privilege. Thank you. Well, Mark, thank you. Uh, I appreciate our friendship. I appreciate the uh, fact that we've been able to work together on what I believe uh, is an important policy issue. And I'm always impressed uh, with uh, your tenaciousness, uh, how uh, you've you you do want to make a difference. You do want to make uh, uh, make improvements. You want to leave a better life and a better world uh, when you uh, when you leave. 
And uh, I, I think that is incredibly uh, important. What do they say? None of us are getting out of here alive. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we better we better leave something good behind. And uh, so I, I appreciate your dedication and and your your podcast and the work that you've done with Rock the Ride and uh, and the great healthcare that you provide. So keep it going and uh, let me know if I can ever be of help. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you soon. My thanks once again to Congressman Thompson for coming on Explore the Space podcast to discuss the run-up to the midterms and where we are around gun violence prevention and a variety of other issues. This is such a pivotal time. It's an extraordinary moment for all of us to think about the role that we play in moving things forward and moving the needle on these critical generational issues. Please do think about as we move towards the midterms what your voting plan is and what the plan for your friends and family who are voting as well to make sure that every ballot is cast either absentee before election day or on election day. This is the moment for us to all be fully engaged and make sure our voices are heard. You can email me anytime, Mark, at Explore the Space Show. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. And you can find the entire archive of Explore the Space podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your interest and engagement. It's always great to hear from fans of the show, so please do reach out. If you're interested, please do share the show with your friends, your colleagues, your teammates, your family. Always really helps us out, and it's wonderful to continue to grow this community. We will be back soon with more great content, and our next episode will be episode 300. Looking forward to that milestone and sharing it with you. We will see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.